We're continuing a I Dare You today with, uh, with James. Um, I dare, we've been kind of looking at uh, different ways in which uh, the Bible kind of encourages us to be courageous. In, in, and James is, has a, a pretty intense message for us. I, I don't follow college basketball that much. Um, I follow two teams. I follow Davidson College because that's where I went. And uh, that's the home of Steph Curry. And I follow Baylor because Baylor published my first book. And, uh, and assuming that I can get some chapters in, they're, they're interested in, in, in publishing the second. So I will root for their team. Uh, this year, the, uh, the Baylor, or they, the, I think they're the Bulldogs, or I don't know, Baylor something. The Bears, right. I'm a huge fan. Uh, wait, they were playing Gonzaga. Are they the Bulldogs? Okay, all right. So there was a championship game, which I actually watched. Unbelievable. But it was a championship game, and it was uh, Baylor uh, Bears versus the Gonzaga Bulldogs. And um, I was supposed to be rooting for Gonzaga because Chris Bjorkland, one of our kids here, he's, he goes there. But I couldn't do it, and I told him no. And, and I talked about, a lot about the game with my brother-in-law, uh, Robert. My brother-in-law, Robert, he and I, we, we connect on, on, on sports. Uh, we, we enjoy sports together. And, uh, and he is into betting. He likes to put uh, money, which I think might be illegal. I, he, I, he, I'm not sure. I think, I think at one point he had like an app that connected him to some place in China. And like he was, he was worried he couldn't get his money. I was like, okay, man, whatever. You do you. Um, and, uh, and so he likes to bet. And we were talking about the game because in the hype, in the lead up to the game, everyone was like, oh, Gonzaga, they're the greatest ever. They have like a, I think they were undefeated. They were going to try to complete the perfect college season. And they were like, oh, yeah, you know, Gonzaga's the, the real deal. Um, and I watched, or I watched like the end of them playing UCLA, where I think they had to go into like overtime to win. And I was like, this doesn't look like the greatest bas- college basketball team ever. And then I watched a little bit of the Baylor team, and they were like, these guys are decent. Like, they're strong. And so we were, I was texting Robert. I was like, look, I don't, I don't care what the hype says. My gut, my gut tells me Baylor is going to just dominate. And he's like, well, then you should bet with me. You know, put your money where your mouth is. And I'm like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I've been wrong about so many things in sports. But he, he went ahead and he did it. He went all in on Baylor, got the good odds, and came out a champion and a winner. So he counted all, well, assuming that he was able to get his money out of China, he counted it all uh, the way to the bank. I left with nothing. Because Robert didn't just believe. His faith led to action. We're going to see that James wants the same thing from us. He wants us to be able to put our money where our mouth is. And so let's uh, start looking at what uh, James has to say here in chapter 2. He says, in the same way, faith is dead. Uh, Literally, that's the word for death, necros. uh, When it doesn't result in faithful activity. In older translations called works. Right? Faith is, it's, it's not doing anything if it doesn't come, if it doesn't start producing faithful activity. Someone might claim, you have faith and I have action. But how can I see your faith apart from your actions? I can't, I can't look inside your head. Instead, James says, I'll show you my faith by putting it into practice in faithful action, in works. It's good that you believe God, God is, is one. Ha! Even the demons believe that. And yet they tremble with fear. He goes on, are, are you so slow? Do you need to be shown that faith without actions has no value? Um, there, no value, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of like, um, the word is like a, a useless or um, 
it, it gets translated dead sometimes. So it doesn't really mean that. It means, it means like it just, it just doesn't, it, there's, it's not producing anything, right? There, it, doesn't, it doesn't have anything for us. It, it's, it's, it's just valueless. It's, it's like me saying, I believe Baylor's going to win. And, well, that's great. Good job, Tom. You believe Baylor's going to win, but who cares? It's only when you put the money down that, that that belief starts to have value, right? What about Abraham, our father? Wasn't he shown to be righteous through his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Abraham, it, we're told, he, he believes God, and that's why God says you're righteous. So it's faith that it makes him right with God. But he shows that faith in the way that he lives, so, to the point where he's even willing to offer up his own son. See, his faith was at work with his, his actions. In fact, his faith was finished by his faithful actions. That word finished uh, in Old King James uh, is made perfect. More uh, commonly now, it's uh, made mature or complete. The word is teleo. It's uh, the, the word um, to, to reach a goal, to reach an end. And what James is saying is he's like, look, the point, God designed faith to lead to something. The, the point of faith is not just for you to get into heaven, although that's great. The point is, is for you to then, like, once you've had the faith, for it to mature, for it to, uh, to meet a goal, and the goal is for you to do stuff. Well, that's nice of you to say, James, who are you? You have no idea what I'm going through. Do you know who James was? Anybody? Anyone even think about James? Right, half-brother of Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. So he grew up with the Son of God and was like, you're definitely the Son of God. That's pretty impressive. Uh, most of us who have siblings would never ever consider them to be the Messiah. So whatever was going on in that house, like James was super impressed. Uh, he, he grows up with Jesus. He becomes one of Jesus' disciples. He, um, he leads the Jerusalem church after the resurrection. Uh, and he leads that church until 62 A.D., I have a picture of what happened to him in 62 A.D. Uh, the Roman proconsul was, uh, was, was called away to a new, another assignment. And while in Jerusalem, they were waiting for a couple of years for a new Roman proconsul to come. Uh, th- those guys would keep the peace. Um, the elite Jewish leaders <laughs> did not like James. Uh, they did not like him preaching about his, his half-brother. And so they took him to the top of the temple, and they threw him off. Um, but he didn't die when he, he fell all the way down. He went down a couple of stories. But then what ended up happening, he didn't die. He just broke most of his body. And so, obviously, the Jewish leaders were not happy with that. So they got one guy to take a club and to finish him off. Just beat him to death. That's a guy whose faith was finished with action. And so today we're going to be reflecting on that. And I, so it starts to, I dare you. I dare you to finish your faith with action. We're a, we're a grace church. We're a believing church. We're all about like believing in Jesus. But man, uh, yes, believing in Jesus is all you need to uh, receive eternal life. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no hooks. There's no, uh, that, that's just it. That's all there is. Um, but God has designed us not just to believe, but for that belief to end up in doing stuff. And so let's look at a few things. These are just a few samples of some of the stuff James is challenging us to finish our faith with action in. And so let's, let's look at chapter 3 here. Um, he starts out, he says, My brothers, uh, not many of you should become teachers. We know that teachers will be judged more strictly. 
Doug. Doug's a sixth grade teacher. Every time he makes a mistake, God's watching and being like, bad, Doug. Those children's lives have been placed in your hands. Those preachers, man, we've got to get some of those preachers out there. They're going to be ju- we're going to be judged more strictly. So if your preacher's out there being like, yo, i got to have that Gulf Stream. I need a private jet. Cough up the money. I know you've got it. If that's, if that's what the leader guy's saying, just remember, he's going to be held to a, differ- a stricter standard. We all make mistakes often, James says, but those who don't make mistakes with their words have reached full maturity. That's that same, uh, it's the noun form of that same word, teleo, telos. They've reached the goal, the end, completion. Like a bridled horse, they can control themselves entirely. When we bridle horses and put bits in their mouths to lead them wherever we want, we can control their whole bodies. Um, I've, I think I rode a horse once when I was six, um, but horses are really expensive. Um, we got a couple in, in the church here, they're moving to Texas. So they bought a house in Texas. The, the, the house, uh, Jen and Rafiq, they, the, the house had a, a horse. And the, the, the pitch was, hey, if you buy this house for full price, we'll give you the horse for free. And that's, so that's, that, they're sold! They're going to go ride that horse. Uh, and, and I guess with riding horses, like, you, know, you put the bit in their mouth and you can do everything just by just little tugs. Little tugs here and there. Consider ships. They're so large that strong winds are needed to drive them. And yet, their pilots direct the ships wherever they want with a little rudder. And that's what the mouth is. That's what the tongue is. In the same way, even though the tongue is a small part of the body, it assumes wildly. Uh, most translations will say boasts um, uh, great things. Uh, the word there, though, um, it, uh, argos, it, it kind of means like, um, it's kind of like uh, I, I, I can say big stuff and with full confidence. Right? It's not just bragging, which is how we hear the word boast. It is that. But it's also, I can, I can declare with full confidence this is going to happen. The Baylor Bears are going to win. I could just... Bah! And people with talkers, talkers like me, we do that all the time. We say, this is how it is. But every time we do that, we're in danger because what if it isn't? Think about this. A small flame can set a whole forest on fire. The tongue is a small flame of fire. A world of evil at work in us. It contaminates our entire lives. Because of it, the circle of life is set on fire. It literally is circle of life. Wheel of generations is the most literal translation. The circle of life. Which is odd, right? Why, why, would, why would James say that the entire circle of life is set on fire? The tongue itself is set on fire by the flames of hell. You might think that James is really concerned here about people saying stuff. Well, because uh, the thing about words is that they, 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 they cut deep and, and the, the effects of words go way beyond anything that we think. In fact, James says the whole circle of life, the wheel of generations, all the way that the world is supposed to be is set on fire by words. This is the second week in a row where we're referencing the Lion King. So here's Scar and Simba. I'm pretty sure last week I talked Lion King. Uh, Lion King again, uh, if we go three in a row, I'll probably get fired. That's fine. Um, the, the Lion King begins with the song by Elton John, Circle of Life, right? Hey, hey, yeah, I'm eating it <laughs> Right? Nailed it. Um, and, wow, okay. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> And, and, and in this intro scene, right, what, what's being communicated by the song is that there's a natural way of things, right? There's a way that the world is supposed to be constructed. How is that world supposed to work? Well, the king lion rules over everything, you know, uh, Mufasa, uh, vo- voiced by James Earl Jones, the voice of a, of a commander, a general, of Darth Vader. That, that, per, that lion rules over everything. He's in control, right? When that lion uh, has a son, his son will rightfully take his place, and, and his son will eventually have another son, and that's how the world's supposed to work. That's how the savanna is supposed to work. It's the circle of life. And, and similarly for us, right? You know, I'm supposed to have, ch- I get married, I have children, I raise them up, then they have kids, I hang around for a few years, and then I, I kick off. And then the circle continues. Well, the interesting thing about the Lion King is that Scar tells Simba a lie. He says, Simba, you're responsible for the death of your dad. No one's going to want you ever again. And so what happens? Simba receives this lie, and he takes off. He runs off. And suddenly the circle of life is jammed. The, uh, uh, it's been set on fire. It's been confused. And what happens is he leaves, Simba leaves, and Scar, who's not prepared or ready or right to take over the throne, he does, and soon the hyenas are running over everything, and all, everything is jammed up. Everyone's life in the entire savanna is subverted and destroyed by one little lie. When James says um, the tongue is set on fire by hell, that it contaminates everything, he's deadly serious. I read a story um, about a kid uh, named Kevin Reese Jr. He's a, he was a 10-year-old. And a couple of years ago, 2019, um, he was starting up his fifth grade year at school. And... Uh, the other classmate, he was, his mom called him his, uh, her goof troop. He was kind of a goofy, silly kid, and so he didn't super fit in with all the other kids. And so what they would do is on a daily basis when he was away from his desk, they would come over to his iPad, his tablet, and they would write things like, you should kill yourself, you don't belong here, we hate you. And so his mom was away on a work trip. His uh, stepdad was late, um, held up at work one day. And so Kevin uh, Reese Jr., at 10 years of age, went home and hung himself in his closet. For those of you here who are under the age of 30, we have never seen a rash of suicides and mental health disaster in our young people like we're seeing right now. The numbers are off the charts. The statistics are horrible. And in almost every single case of these suicides, there is some severe bullying, cyberbullying, or something like that going on where people are using their words, their fiery tongue, to tell other kids, other young adults, other high schoolers, other college kids, that they're fat, or they're ugly, or they're gay, or whatever. And these kids can't take it. It's especially close to my heart because uh, I'm a talker. 
Uh, most of you who know me know that, that that's my go-to. And when I was a kid, when I was younger, um, in order to get popular at school, I made fun of the kids that were lamer than I was. And you know what? It worked. I tortured kids with my words. And it made me great. And if I could go back, I would, but I can't. So all I can say is, if you're one of these kids who's being tortured, you're being bullied right now, today, at this service, after this service, you need to tell somebody who loves you that this is happening to you. And I count. I love you. You can tell me. And I will make sure something gets done. If you're one of these people who's setting other kids on fire, other people on fire through your social media posts, uh, the, the TikTok videos that, that you share um, through the words that you use, um, if you're one of those kids and you're, and you're setting other kids on fire, stop, please. Because what you're doing can very well wreck the whole circle of life. And you don't know. And maybe you're not someone who's setting other kids on fire, but you see somebody whose, whose tongue is aflame and is setting other people on fire. Stop them. Confront them. Or have someone, an, an adult do it. But, but please intercede. You have no idea how damaging the tongue is. It literally takes lives. So for most of us, the, the, the message is this. I dare you, James says, to think before you speak. I dare you to think before you speak. But for some of you, for me, when I was 16 years old, the message was not, I dare you to think before you speak. It was, I dare you to shut up, Tom. Because you're in danger of taking lives. Chapter 4. James goes on. This is the end of chapter 4. He, uh, he, he, he takes a shot at, at planners. Some of us here are planners, people who, uh, I'm not. I just live day to day. I never have any idea what's happening. Um, and it's a problem because very often Aaron's like, oh, you need to go to watch, you know, this talent show that Alice is in. I'm like, what? I have like three meetings. And she's like, it's been on the calendar for two months. I'm like, your calendar, not mine. Pay attention, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town. We'll stay there a year buying, selling, turning a profit. Well, guess what? You don't really know about tomorrow. What's your life? You're a mist that appears for only a short while before it vanishes. Uh, James is picking up on the Old Testament notion of, um, the, uh, the, of vanity. If you've read Ecclesiastes, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's, it's mist, vapor, breath. Life is a breath. That's it. It's nothing. Here's what you ought to say. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Notice uh, James isn't saying something like, you know, don't plan. What he's saying is, you literally have no idea that you might drop dead tomorrow. Right? He's like, you're a mist. You're a breath. And you have, there's no guarantees. Tomorrow, you could, it could be it. Interesting fact, uh, I have a cool chart here. Uh, this is uh, life expectancy. So it used to be that people thought that, like, in the ancient world, everyone died young. That's not actually true. 
Uh, so some, some data scientists went back and they looked at a whole bunch of Roman graves and they, and they checked out how long everyone lived. And it turned out that if you survived infancy and, and, and being a, a small child, uh, then you lived for about 70 years. That's life expectancy in the ancient world. It was all about like just making sure you didn't die in the cradle. Um, because in the ancient world, most, well, not most, but a lot of kids did. And that's a, that, that took down the median age. Right? But if you, if you look aside, it's about 70 years. And in 1950, the United States was exactly the same spot. So, so in 1950, we, uh, had the same life expectancy as the people 2,500 years ago. There had been literally no change in life expectancy, um, in 2,500 years. But that's changing. Uh, this chart is in five-year increments, um, and it's projected into 2050, from 1950 to 2050, assuming that current trends hold. And you'll notice that right now, um, which is like kind of near the end of the graph, uh, uh, the United States is at 78 years, is the life expectancy of everyone here. So if you're over 78, you're on borrowed time. Remember, the longer you live, someone very young is going to have to die to, like. I joke, I kid, haha. Mike, we are super glad that you're recovering, brother. Like, I, I, yeah, if you don't know, Mike had a stroke in Hawaii, and man, he's here, like, a week later, like, God bless you, man. Uh, but what we have noticed is that, yes, it, because of uh, modern science, uh, modern medicine, we're, we're creeping up. And it's not that people are... Uh, it, what, what's really going on is that the end-of-life stuff that would have killed you 70 years ago doesn't. So the heart attacks um, and the cancer, and all the, we're, we're able to prolong lives in ways that w- would not have been possible 70, sometimes even just 20 or 30 years ago. And if this continues, they expect that by 2050, Americans will live to be like 83 years old. That's what the life expectancy is supposed to be. Um, so, you know, good news for me. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Obesity, though, that's a problem. <laughs> It's like a number one indicator. Gotta get on the treadmill. Okay. Um, the point is, is that none of us think we're ever going to die. Right? We all think we're going to live forever. Scott told me that he's going to live to be 100 years old. And I'm never going to let you live that down, man, because when I'm there at your bed holding your hands and praying for you, I'm going to remind you what you said. <laughs> We think we're going to live forever. We think that, um, you know, there's always a cure. There's always a, a way. There's always something, right? And, and, and so we, we, we plan out our lives meticulously. Some of us are very, very assiduous about this. It, it, it's got to be this or this. I've got to make sure I get into this college, right? And if I don't, my life's ruined. Or um, I, I need to make sure that I make this amount of money next year if I'm going to be on, on track for retirement, right? Um, and I need to grow the business this much. And if the kids don't go to this school, then they're going to be ruined. And so we, we, we carve up our lives and all, never thinking. When James is like, dude, you have no idea. You could die tomorrow. And yet, see, you're... Don't, don't stop planning. But um, as, as Bill and Rachel always like to say, you, know, you come up with plan B. And then you wait for God to show you plan A. 
What your, your job is to, yeah, you make your plans, you try to do the best that you can to make sure that you're, you're securing your children's future, all of those things. Um, but at every, t- at every moment, you're holding it out, being like, God, if you want to shake this up, then I'm, I'm going to be okay with that. And, you know, this last year, I think a lot of us saw our plans go up in smoke. We thought we kind of had it figured out. We kind of thought what we knew was coming. And then a pandemic hit. The world economy shut down. Lives were destroyed. And how many of us were okay with that? Well, I dare you to give the future to God. I dare you to give God your future. I dare you not to stop planning, but to plan with the understanding that everything you're putting together, your big, beautiful portfolio, isn't your big, beautiful portfolio. The end of, uh, of chapter 5, this is how actually how James ends. He doesn't end it with like anything. It's very like abrupt. He says, brothers, if, you, uh, if, you, if any of you wander from the truth and someone turns back the wanderer, recognize that whoever brings a sinner back uh, from the wrong path will save them from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Uh, literally, it will cover many uh, sins, which is a reference to the Old Testament, the way that um, the blood of a sacrifice covers uh, the sins of the people on the day of, of, of atonement, meaning that God has accepted and forgiven them. One of the things that we're noticing um, in American culture is that uh, especially youth are leaving the church as soon as they go on their own. Um, So if we have any, you know, 17 to 21-year-olds here, uh, this is the narrative of the culture. The narrative is you graduate from high school and you either go off to college or you start working. And as soon as that happens, even if you're part of a family that has gone to church your entire life, you will stop. Um, And the numbers are staggering how this works. But because you're here today, that means you've bucked the trend, at least to some extent. Strauss, we only see you maybe once every six weeks, but that's better than nothing. He watches online. Don't, don't, don't. Strauss, I love you. (laughs) Good. So Strauss is here. He's bucked the trend. Um, all the rest of us, we're here. We've bucked the trend to some extent. And what James is saying is saying, hey, um, I know it's really comfortable and convenient for you to enjoy the faith that you have and the security that provides you for the future eternal life and all of those things. You're comfortable knowing that your sins are forgiven and all that. But guess what? A whole bunch of your cohorts are off doing whatever it is they do. They've given up. And maybe you're the only person who can say what needs to be said to them. It's one of the latest pictures of my dad. It's on our Caring Bridge. Um, my mom took the picture because uh, if he was turned the other way, it would be horrifying because his skull kind of like goes, well, there is no skull, so the skin kind of just dips in. It's not pleasant to look at. 
This has obviously been a very trying time for the family. Uh, my dad was kind of the center of, he was the, the warm center of all of things that happened. Uh, he's a, for those of you who don't know him, he was an amazing, affable, incredible guy. Turns out when he was in his 20s, he was a bit of a rapscallion. He, uh, he was a captain in the Air Force, flew in the Air Force uh, during Vietnam, um, and was something of a spitfire. He, uh, he, he lived hard, and he, well, he, he'd walked away. See, he grew up in the Episcopal Church. He um, was, I think at one point, he or his brother were like an altar boy or whatever they do there. Um, and at 18, when he went off to college at Colorado State, he was like, I believe in science, and I don't need God. And so he kind of walked away. And for the next 20 years of his life, he just, you know, he was a, you know, smoking, drinking, fighting, just a, all, all awesome, by the way. Like, everyone who, if you meet people who knew him back then, they're like, dude, that guy was awesome. He was so cool. Um, but he was also uh, miserable and lost, and he had no hope. I think um, uh, he's married to my mom now. That was his second wife. His first wife left him, uh, and he wasn't supposed to be able to have kids, and I came along. Again, could have been the postman, but we're betting on Dave. Um... And he was at a point in his life um, in the mid-80s where uh, he was like, everything that I've believed so far has been wrong. My life is falling apart. I don't know how to be a good husband or a father. And uh, I just... And he moved in next door to Glenn Eichler, uh, Scott's dad. And Glenn invited him to, to a Billy Graham crusade. And who knows how that happened, but, but Glenn just took a shot in the dark on a black sheep, on a wanderer, And because of that, whether or not my dad ever wakes up, I know we have a future together. And so James says, if you find one wanderer and you bring him back, you're covering up a whole multitude of sins. You're setting a future and a life. Don't just sit there and enjoy the fact that you're saved, you're forgiven, that God's in your life and leading you. Like, that's not the end of your faith. That's not the point of your faith. The point of your faith is to go. It's to go out and to, to finish with action, with, with movement, with life. It's to have words of gratitude and grace. It's to give all the future to God. It's to go out and shepherd a black sheep. That's uh, the last thing in your note sheets. I dare you to shepherd a black sheep. You know the person in your life that you know needs to be here? Go get them. What are you waiting for? The problem with our country is not that we don't have enough Christians, okay? We've got a lot of Christians, or at least people who say that they're Christians. Uh, it's still the majority of religion in our country, and it's by a, a, a very large margin, especially if you kind of include anyone, you know, because 
yeah, well, the point is, and if people who say that they're Christians, that, that's something like 60-plus percent of the country. Now, can you imagine what it would be like if not just everybody here, but every one of those 60-plus whatever, I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions of people here, uh, if every single one of them would, would, would say, you know what, I'm not just going to sit here and just live in this comfortable life that I have with God, me and Jesus hanging out, having a great time. He saved my soul. My sins are forgiven. I'm doing great. And instead said, the reason for this faith is to propel me out into things that are difficult and scary and wild, to put my money where my mouth is, to bet on the bears and to see what happens. What would happen in this congregation if we did that? What would happen in Orange County if Christians around here did that? What would happen in this country if Christians did that? If we stopped torturing each other and putting each other on fire with our tongues? If we held the future lightly and said, God, whatever you have, I will go with it. If we looked out and we found those lonely, tired, sick, broken black sheep and invited them, Back in. I tell you, it would be a revolution. And so here's my commitment to you uh, this week. So um, <laughs> my dad's brother, unbelievably, uh, just suffered a, um, not quite a heart attack, but uh, they found out that the right valve in his aorta um, has shrunken to like the size of a coffee straw. <laughs> And so um, about a week ago, he, was, he almost passed out, and he couldn't see. And so they took him to the ER, and he's in the hospital waiting for a procedure uh, to open that up. And uh, he's, <laughs> like my dad was wondering, well, he wondered too. Also a Vietnam vet. Um, has always believed in science. Was an altar boy in the church. And today or tomorrow, I'm going to go over there. Saddleback. And I'm going to tell him, you need to come back. And even if he hates it, I'm going to pray for him. Because someone needs to shepherd that black sheep, and maybe that person's me. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we are so blessed to be your children. You've given us so much. You've given us faith. You've given us life. You've given us forgiveness. God, James shows us that you haven't stopped there, that you've called us farther. You've asked us to turn that faith into work, to finish it. To finish it with action. To stop the fires of the tongue, to hold our future in your hands and to give it to you to go out and seek the black sheep and invite them home God may our faith no longer be dead or useless but instead vibrant and wild and flourishing with action that brings glory to you brings life Uh, to your people and the power of your spirit and the forgiveness and grace of your son. May we be your hands and feet. God, just as you went out of the way with your reckless, wild love to come and seek us, may we 
seek others.